This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life. Because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Kyle Bondi, the best first name ever. Yes. <laughs> You're in uh, Windsor, Ontario. Yes, sir. In uh, good old Canada. Yeah. We're here under quarantine at the time. So we, we first met, I want to say, like 2009. Yeah, probably around then. Yeah. You were, uh, and we'll get into this, you were a part of a band. Yeah. Um, at the time, and uh, that's how we first met. You you had a, a music video that you were doing. That, that's oh yeah, that's right. You. Was that yeah. the first day we met? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. But you had already known Tim, I think, right? No, that was the first time I met Tim. Oh, it was the well. first time you met him too. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that was a wild day. And, and Justin, so yeah. it was uh, <laughs> quite the just crazy how that specific day how monumental I think for with yeah. the three guys for me. Uh, yeah. And even for us too, we met a lot of people that day. Like that was the day that we met Steve McGee and, and Zach and a bunch of guys that, you know, some of you guys already knew, but I, I had never met before and ended up becoming friends with a lot of these dudes just through, you know, us, you know, renting a church to shoot a little music video. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you've always been in Windsor. You were born and raised in Canada, yeah, uh, they're across the river from Detroit. What's that like? I, I love it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people like Windsor is definitely a smaller city um, compared to a place like Detroit. Like Windsor, I think our population right now is like around 300,000 people in the city ish, something like that. So it's a smaller city on the scale of, you know, say a place like Detroit or Chicago or whatever. But being five minutes away from Detroit, like literally, I mean, if I'm up on top of my roof, I could see, you know, the Ambassador Bridge from my house. We're, we're not far at all. Like, we're not even 10 minutes from the border. And, I mean, it's awesome because we have that kind of little bit slower pace of life. But there's also, you know, a downtown and and uh, some amazing restaurants and really cool, a lot of cool culture and art scene and stuff that's going on as well. And then we have, you know, Detroit, you know, a 10-minute drive away if we want to do the big concerts and sporting events and stuff that are a little bit bigger but yeah yeah oh totally so uh your upbringing with music started with uh your family specifically yeah. uh your dad uh, yeah talk about what that was like yeah it's definitely i mean even if you go you know rewind even more my uh my grandfather was a, a musician and, and a pretty prominent musician from this area and had his own radio show way back in the day when one of the first radio stations in Windsor was a station called AM 800. And, uh, you know, obviously having his own show on that, my dad was around music his whole life. And this is like back in the day where like, you know, talking to my grandfather when he, and it wasn't like he was interviewing people, like when he had a radio show, like he was performing live on the air as a musician every day. Like they weren't playing records on the air primarily. It was live performances. Was this in the 50s then? This would have been, yeah. Yeah, this would have been like probably 50s and 60s. Okay. Um, and my dad, uh, I mean, obviously my dad wasn't born at that point, but 
Um, my grandfather had a show called Sons of the Saddle, and it was kind of like a country show, which I mean is like the one type of music I can't, you know, really get too into, but, you know, nothing against it, but it's just not my preference. But that's kind of where the, uh, you know, our immediate family lineage started with that kind of music influence. And then my dad, you know, same thing, grew up in that family. His whole family, basically, he had six siblings, most of which all played some instrument or sang or something. My grandmother as well was um, an amazing singer and, and piano player. And so growing up around that, my dad was really into it. But then, you know, my dad was like the guy growing up in the 60s and 70s that was like Led Zeppelin rolls around and my dad's like, okay, now we're talking, you know, you can <laughs> stop yodeling and listening to your country music. Like, this is what's up. And, uh, you know, that kind of spurred my dad's uh, kind of musical journey. He was never a, a big musician, quote unquote, or anything, but played in a bunch of bands um, around this area. He was a drummer in a band called Northbound, which was kind of like a... I don't know. They played stuff like kind of Fleetwood Mackey kind of vibe. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of what I grew up around as I came into the picture and whatnot, you know, and that's also how my parents met. My dad's band was playing uh, a show in Windsor and my mom and her friends went and uh, next thing you know, my parents started dating. So it's like everything is music related. My mom doesn't play anything, but she's a big, you know, music junkie. She as enjoys well. it. Yeah, she loves music. They go to a lot of concerts and and stuff. And, you know, the funny thing is growing up around that, like my dad and I have kind of switched places now where my dad's kind of like teenage Kyle where my dad is retired. So now he has gotten back together with some of his old buddies and jams. So literally like the things that I did in high school, like play drums in my basement and cut the grass are all that my dad does now. (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of the the roles have reversed but yeah and then i mean our whole family is is uh very intertwined in the music industry as well my my brothers all all play instruments and stuff as well awesome Mm -hmm. talk about uh your dad uh practicing yeah that was kind of my my big first i guess musical memory is i remember being just a little kid like really young And sitting in my parents' basement at their first house that we grew up in. And it was just a tiny little house. But we had this, like, jam room. And that was just normal to me. Like, I remember going to, like, other people's houses. And it was, like, nobody else had drums and guitars and amps and, you know, speaker systems and stuff. And, like, my basement was, like, a little mini concert all the time. My dad would have his buddies Mm -hmm. over. And they would jam. And, you know, I would just sit there and listen. Like, most kids would be out wanting to play and stuff. But when my dad's band came over, it was like, can I, can I stay? Like, I was like, please don't tell me to leave the room. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to watch. And I would sit there for hours and listen to them rehearse. And I was obsessed with the whole process of it, of, you know, why do they keep playing the same songs and, you know, like trying to get better. And like, you know, I, I couldn't understand it at the time because I wasn't a musician yet, but I just, I knew like, this is something I, I love. Like, I want to be a part of this. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you have other family members involved in music. Yeah. Talk about what they're doing currently or in the the last few years. Yeah. So my my one brother, Ryan, is a bass player and he's been in uh, numerous bands over the years. He's he's been more in kind of heavier stuff. Like he's been in a couple hardcore bands and 
a couple of which have done pretty well. And, uh, you know, he's kind of been in and out of bands, done really well for himself. My, my brother, Blair, who's my youngest brother, is probably the, well, I mean, definitely the most, I guess, in the industry still to this day. Although he's my youngest brother, he's definitely the most accomplished when it comes to working in the industry um, on a bigger scale. He went to school to become uh, an audio uh, recording engineer and uh, right out the bat, just kind of uh, started hustling. He worked for about a year and a half on a cruise ship and quickly within that time, you know, I mean, he's like early 20s, like 21, 22. And within, you know, no time was in charge of the uh, sound on board of like Carnival Cruise Lines, um, one of their fleets of ships or whatever, doing like uh, the different concerts and stuff on board. Fast forward to Carnival does these things called these rock cruises where they'll bring on some acts and stuff. And uh-huh. uh, they're usually like, you know, the washed up stars from, from yesterday. And they're still big acts, but they do these cruises and charge a lot of money and people get to go to the shows at night. And so they did one of those and my brother was just a tech for it. But um, Sticks and Ario Speedwagon came on board his ship. And of course. Uh, yeah, like they do, right? Because if you're drinking a mimosa <laughs> in the middle of the ocean, that's what you need. But yeah, yeah it was... Uh, you can't fight that feeling. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> he couldn't. He definitely couldn't. And that's exactly what happened. He got hooked and he already knew that's what he wanted to do. And he was very, very good at his job to the point where when he graduated, um, he went to a school called OART, which is the Audio uh, Ontario or Ontario Recording Institute of Technologies, which is it's kind of like the Berkeley of sound engineer school, though, in that if you graduate from there, you you're pretty much guaranteed a good job because it's a a much more sought after and harder to get into course than a lot of the audio recording technology courses like this college only takes 30 students a year and my brother was able to get in and did really really well and so right from there his uh his professor who is a sound engineer for kiss was like okay like i want to see you succeed you know uh, i'm paraphrasing obviously but basically told him you know he's going to do whatever he could to help him and uh, yeah, fast forward a couple years forward and my brother's got the itch and he's now, uh, you know, off the cruise ship, has done a, a few gigs for some some bigger bands and he's a hard worker, my brother, like he'll do anything. He'll uh, roll cables, he'll load trucks, he'll do whatever, even though he's like the most talented uh, audio engineer I've known. He uh, He's not uh, too proud to do any other jobs, so he just did whatever he could to get around the right people. And eventually, these people started realizing, like, okay, this this kid knows his stuff. You know, fast forward a few years later, the last year, my brother's been the uh, audio uh, monitor engineer for Post Malone, so he's the only other guy on stage with Post. He just got off a six-month tour with John Bellion. He's worked with, uh, you know, tons of other... Um, he's gone on to, to do little stints here and there with um, people like Justin Bieber, Aerosmith, a bunch of, you know, big artists in different realms, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, He's done sound at the Grammys twice. And uh, mind you, this kid, uh, my youngest brother, he's like, I don't know, 25, 26 now. So to be uh, having people all over the world calling you, asking you to come on their tours is uh, a whole other level of skill. So I'm not going to sit here and brag about myself but i'll gladly brag about him because i've seen how hard he's worked and i mean to give you an idea of how 
he is. My brother is just relentless. And, you know, his favorite band is a band called Kill Switch Engage. And yeah. uh, he loves that kind of stuff too. And he uh, really loved, they had this live DVD a couple of years ago and he really loved it. I was like, man, I have to find out who mixed this because this sounds so good. Found out the guy's name and literally like spent an, a whole night on Facebook just going through people's profiles trying to find this guy. And he actually found the guy and, uh, you know, didn't fanboy him, was just like straight up like asking him like actual industry questions. And uh, fast forward a couple years later, um, now whenever Kill Switch is in, in town, they call him to come sit behind the board with them. So, you know, when they're just at the Fox Theater again, they uh, call my brother to come sit in with them. So, you know, it's pretty cool because his unrelentless or his relentless, I guess what you'd say, uh, you know, personality leads to a lot of amazing opportunities because he'll, he'll just talk to anyone, you know, isn't afraid to look stupid. You know, he's respectful yeah. of the big artists that he works with. He's not the guy that's running up asking for pictures or anything, but he'll tell you exactly what he wants, you know, which I really admire. That's really cool about your brother. Yeah. yeah. By the way, if Red Hot Chili Peppers ever gets a tour again, that would be... Uh... That would be dope, especially uh, with his face being back now, Trishante. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Johnny's back. That was my first show, actually. And uh, actually, Blair, Blair, my yeah, my, my little brother, Blair, who I was just talking about, it was his first show, too. Um, and my brother, Ryan, my dad took us, um, a friend of his had like tickets and gave them away because he couldn't go. And it was Queens of the Stone Age and Red Hot Chili Peppers at the Palace. Oh, my word. Yeah, that was our first show. Like, And I was like, oh, man, I was probably like, 12 or something so blair was uh maybe i was a little older i don't know but blair's five years younger than me so you know he's uh he definitely was really young when that that happened and he'll he'll talk about that too i was just listening to a podcast <laughs> that my brother did and he was saying how monumental that show was for him because he said he remembers just sitting there and, and thinking like how loud and just like all these different sounds that you know you go to a big show like that in a big arena it's like everything's echoing and i mean it's right. just a whole other thing right they're the one band that i have that I probably have not seen that i would do anything to to see well Still. if they come back to detroit let's go together yeah we'll make it happen. I, I would definitely go again like i mean i was a, a young child and i still remember a lot about the show that's awesome high school comes along and bands like blink 182 are really driving with uh your interests pop punk yeah. Uh, it was my rebellion. What, yeah. <laughs> Why was it your uh, your rebellion? What was appealing about it? So much. Yeah, I guess it kind of was. I went to a, a a private school when I was in in uh, grade school, and then high school, I I go to a uh, public school. I was very sheltered growing up. Like I didn't I didn't realize, you know, I had experienced things very differently. Like I grew up in a Christian household that was a good household, but it was pretty strict. In a lot of ways and although my my parents were into like led zeppelin and stuff a lot of like my musical tastes were very like old i wasn't really current with a lot of the music that was going on and uh and i think you know come high school you know not that it was really a rebellion i guess but it was more of just like me being like okay i want to see what else is out there and then i remember hearing stuff like blink which you know i'm not even going to call like punk it's more pop punk but it was just like whoa like, okay, this is different. I've never heard anything like this. And I, I think I just liked that it was different. And then myself being a drummer, it's like Travis Barker was like, oh man, 
this is really hard. I want to learn how to do this. So I'd sit in my basement music room and, and, you know, probably at the pain and agony of my parents for like three, four hours, just try and learn a certain Travis Barker fill that was like four times faster than I should have been playing. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's what sucked me into it. So is this when, uh, when did you start picking up the drums? I actually, so I had to ask my parents this cause somebody had asked me this a while back and they said when I was about three or four years old, I started like, I jump on my dad's drum kit and bang around and around yeah. five, my, my parents said it actually started sounding rhythmic and I, they could tell like I actually had a little, uh, I guess knack for it. And so, yeah, I guess around five is when I started. Yeah. And then when were you taking lessons at some later? I've actually never taken any lessons. I I took some sheet music lessons when I was like in like high school or something like that, just because I I wanted to do some session work. And I knew that if I was going to do session work in studios for other artists that I should probably know how to, at least at a basic level, read sheet music. Because in some of those instances, you're just given music, you're not necessarily hearing the song before. When, when do you think it was uh, something that you were really passionate about? Drums, yeah, it's, I'd say probably beginning of high school. Like I knew there was something, you know, I'm not trying to make myself sound special or something, but I knew there was something different about me because all my buddies were into like sports and I never played on like any sports teams. And I mean, ironically now I'm super into sports and I love watching sports and going to sporting events and stuff but in high school like i could give no less care to what was on tv or what sporting event or anything like when i would get home it was like okay how much homework do i have to do i'd get that out of the way and then i would play drums for three four hours and like every single night like not like once or twice a week like you could ask my parents like seven days a week for probably 10 years straight like that was that was my everything. And then I started, you know, trying to find ways that I could make money doing it. So for a while, I taught some students out of my parents' basement, just trying to, you know, make a few bucks to, I guess, justify my obsession. And I was young, like I was teaching kids when I was like in high school. So, you know, I was probably 15, 16 years old. And I had students that were older than me. I had a guy that was like 28 or 29 that I was teaching when I was like 16 that I don't know how I even met this guy. I don't even remember, but I met this guy through someone that I knew and he was like an amazing piano player. And he was just like, I want to learn the drums. And as like stupid as it felt and probably sounded, I was like, I'll teach you. And he was like, Oh, okay. And, uh, I don't even remember. Like at the time it was like something stupid cheap, like 10 or 20 bucks for an hour. Um, mm-hmm. you know, which is like unheard of now, but you know, that was kind of my, justifying my obsession is like well if i'm finding a way to get paid for it it's you know i have to play all the time <laughs> i think right that, that's kind of how i thought about it you have this groundbreaking kind of moment that happens mm. you come yeah. to st andrew's my favorite concert venue it's such a good it, venue man is that a fave of yours yeah it's definitely i'd say in the top few 100 percent. yeah st andrew's in detroit you see a band called Mute Math. First off, you see them before they're even, I, I don't even know if they were on a label yet. No, I don't think they were. This was like their first, first tour, and it wasn't even that busy. Like, it was pretty new. Yeah. How, how did you find out about them, and what was it about the, the concert that blew you away? 
Yeah, I had a friend uh, named Luke that had given me a CD, and at the time, it wasn't even it wasn't even a an actual CD that was like sold. It was like a burnt disc that he had got from a Mute Math show like way back in the day, and he had saw these guys play somewhere in Indiana and was like, "Hey, you should check these guys out." And uh, I listened to the uh, the songs, and it was like a I think their first EP or whatever. It, it was only a few songs, and I was like, "Oh man, this is this is really cool," but I, I wasn't like super stoked about it to be totally honest. Like I was like, okay, this is cool. That moment, and I forget what it was. I think it was two thousand five when I saw them. Their uh, their full length like self titled album had just come out, and Meat Mouth was playing at uh, St Andrews, and it was just like one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, I, I know of these guys. Like let's go, and it's me, my now wife Rachel, who at the time we were just friends. We weren't even dating or anything. We took the tunnel bus over from downtown Windsor to St Andrews because it actually drops you off right in front of the venue. It's the sweetest thing ever if you're a Canadian. Um, oh. Yeah, so you just jump on. It's like three bucks or something. You go right across the border. You get out, and there's like a bunch of different drop-offs downtown Detroit, one of which is right by St. Andrews. So we jumped out, go in, and it was like, like I literally, like I got chills the moment the show started. Like when they started playing, the lights went out, and they came in with this intro that they had. And it was just like, man. And I remember looking at Rachel, and I literally out loud, I was just like, this is going to be good. Like, I remember just telling her this is going to be good. And we were both just like kind of like blown away from there on out. And it just, that was one of those shows where still like, I mean, you know, we've gone to a bunch of shows together and I know you go to a ton of concerts. Like, I mean, Rachel and I have been to hundreds of shows over the years and that's still my, my favorite, like my top show because of like the emotional impact it had on me. Um, I had never seen a live performance like that. And it was literally like the thought of like, yes, I'm a musician. I want to do that. But it was like so good that the thought was more like, I want to be able to do anything that good. Like to where I leave the venue, we get on this the tunnel bus to go back home. And Rachel and I didn't say anything to each other the whole way home. And we both knew why. Like it was literally one of those moments where it was just like, we both knew like we had just saw something like really special. And I mean, fast forward, I think now we've seen mute math like seven or eight times live and we've met them a couple times and it became like an obsession because it was like that moment. Like, yeah, there's bands out there that I love and there's probably bands that are even better than them, but it was just like, there was something about that night that like everything was just perfect. Like it just, it was the perfect storm. Yeah, no, totally. I think, what makes them so special is that live element. Totally, 100%. Without question. The first time I saw them was on uh, David Letterman. Yeah, Um, oh, really? Was that the backwards performance? No, uh, I think that was Jimmy Kimmel that they did that on. Oh, you're right, that was Kimmel, yeah. I just, even though it wasn't, I wasn't live in person, I I just was so blown away by the performance. And I mean, even David Letterman was blown away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he like, you know, you see this guy putting, you know, tape around his head and the headphones yeah. And, yeah. and he's going berserk. And it, it just, it, it was typical that they played and yeah. I fell in love with it that I, the next day I went and bought the, the album. Yeah. That, that was like the live show for me. Like that, that same thing. It was like, I went from like, okay, yeah, these guys are cool to like seeing it and being like, yep, I'm sold. Like anything they put out from there on out didn't matter 
what album and members changed and drama here and there, whatever. I was like, nope, I don't care. I'm going to go every time they come to this area. What do you think of the the last show? It it honestly, I mean, my thought was like, it was still mute math. It was awesome. It, it just didn't feel the same. It didn't have quite the same energy. I thought it was a great show. Like if I stumbled into that, not knowing who they were, I would still be like, yeah, this is really dope. But I think it's kind of like, I don't know. You spend enough time, you know, in the DIA looking at amazing masterpieces, your cousin's little like art show isn't going to do the thing anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's just, they might be a great painter, but when you've seen what else is possible, you're kind of like, okay, like good. But you know, you kind of knew that the end was near, I guess I'd say, at least for me. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I know I had the kind of vibe that it was like a farewell tour. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, it, it, you're right. It didn't have that same vibe, but uh, it was still... Still a great show. I mean, they were still doing interesting things that were, you know, I've never seen in a show before. Paul was up on one of, like, the, you know, maybe one of the pianos or an instrument and was mm-hmm. swinging that light bulb. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, like, stars, like, in the background. It was just... Yeah, there's always something crazy. Like, they always had some co- sort of cool, like, you know, display or, like, you know, the first tours when they would smash all the light bulbs at the end. Do you remember they had yeah. those, like, fluorescent bulbs or whatever? Yeah. And actually just listened to a, <laughs> an interview with uh, Darren King just recently, and he was like, man, we were really stupid because he was like, those things are full of mercury. <laughs> he was like, every night we just smash those bulbs in front of, like, countless audiences all over the world. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, maybe that's why neither of us have Corona right now. <laughs> like he would, uh, he would get up on a snare and then dive into the, yeah. the crowd. So wild. They had a blow up mattress that. Oh yeah. With all the lights on it. Right. Yeah. And they have like a bunch uh, of lights around it. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. crowd surf into the, uh, into the audience. Yeah. I remember uh, that. It was Awesome always really fun to watch them live at this time is this when uh you start to get involved in the the band yeah yeah i mean mind you so i've been you know playing in you know little bands at school and different things and buddies and jamming and and stuff but yeah the first uh serious band quote unquote that i was in that when we met each other um i started playing drums for a band called exit the ordinary which one of your previous guests, Tim West, yeah. um, who was the lead singer of that band. Yeah, him and Justin Nemi, amazing bass player, invited me to try out. They had uh, previously been signed to a record label in Nashville, and their drummer that they had at the time had left for other reasons. He was, you know, kind of wanted to go into a different direction professionally. And here I am, like 18 years old, just out of high school, nothing to show. I was working part-time at, at McDonald's and, um, still playing drums for hours every day and got the opportunity to try out for this band who I was a fan of. I used to go and see them play. Actually, the first time I ever saw them play was in St. Andrew's Hall. They were playing in the basement at a venue called The Shelter, which I know you've been to. Yeah. And that was the first time I ever got to see Exit the Ordinary. Really loved their vibe. They are kind of this indie rock trio. And uh, yeah, next thing you know, I'm trying out and I get the part and, you know, ended up being 
in that band and on the road touring and and did a couple albums for uh, the next eight years of my life. What was it like to be in a, a band? It was really cool. It was really interesting, right? I was 18 years old going into venues that I wasn't even old enough to get into. <laughs> Otherwise, you know what I mean? They, they A lot of the venues were cool. If you're playing, they'd give you a special wristband that was like, hey, you're a performer, but you're nothing but the talent. You're not allowed to be in the bar area. You're not, you know, whatever. And so it was kind of cool because I felt like I was kind of getting behind the curtain and seeing what was going on in these music venues that I couldn't even get into. And uh, yeah, I mean, I having been a you know music nerd my whole life, I uh, I knew most of their music just because I would go home and, and play along to the EP that Exit the Ordinary had previously because I just really liked it. And so when we first met, like I remember jamming through a few of the tunes and the guys were just laughing because I knew the stuff because I'd listened to their stuff for so long. And then, yeah, next thing you know, it was like, boom, we're recording a, a full-length album and Tim had got us a couple licensing deals for some TV shows and stuff. So we were writing music for television and and uh, movies and licensing deals and all that stuff. And, you know, the reality of it was it uh, it's a fun job. It's really cool. I had a great time. I love those guys so much. And they were like family living with these dudes for years, you know, mm-hmm. um, and good chunks of my life with them. And it was a great experience. But I mean, the other side of the coin is you have to give up a lot of your life to uh, live that lifestyle. You had to even more because you were, you know, having to live in Canada and come over yeah. to, you know, yeah. do all of the things that come with being in a band. Yeah. I mean, getting a work visa as a musician is, uh, is not easy. It's uh, it, it took a good couple years for me to be able to, to actually legally be allowed in the States to play music. So it was a whole hassle that involved me getting kicked out of the U.S. and being held at the border and all kinds of stuff. One day I was going over and going to uh, a concert that we were going to be playing in Indiana. And uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, Rachel, we... Uh, got pulled in and the guy was just like, why do you cross the border so much? Cause I had been crossing like almost every day because the studio that the band owned was in Michigan. So I would, you know, cross over and, uh, pretty much daily. And, uh, yeah, it, it was something funny. Like the border guard pulled up my crossing history and in the last year I'd crossed like 300 times. <laughs> and so he was like, you know, he was convinced that I was a drug dealer or something. He's like, or, you know, you're bringing packages over. They ripped my whole car apart put me in one room, my wife in the other, fingerprints, guns drawn on me, mug shots, the whole deal. Um, and, it, you know, it led to me being kicked out of the U.S. and told that I would be thrown in jail if I tried to cross another North American border. Um, even though I did nothing wrong, I wasn't doing anything illegal. He just basically said, I don't believe that you're just coming over here to play music. I think that you're doing something under the table. Like, there's no reason you'd be crossing every day. To which I remember my exact quote was, sir, I drive a beat up Cavalier. Does it look like I, I deal drugs? Which he didn't find very funny. And yeah, you know, it was just kind of one of those things. I learned a lot about the uh, the border in that, in that process and learned how to get all the paperwork I needed to uh, to legally play in the States to appease them. So, you know, had to hire an immigration consultant and all this stuff to to get it all taken care of. But, you know, once I had the visa and stuff done, 
it uh, was a little bit easier to cross. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely a hassle going going back and forth because you get a lot of border guards that take their job, you know, seriously, which they should. I mean, it obviously is an important job, but there's that one guy who's always just like he knows that he has you there for as long as he he says. So he's going to do whatever he can to make your uh, life hell. And unfortunately, there's a few times I ran into people like that where they wouldn't let me cross for whatever reason or something. But during this time, you're also opening your horizons with uh, the music that you're listening to. Cigarose, uh, for example, yeah. Death Cab for Cutie. What was uh, about those specific bands that drew your attention? Yeah, I mean, one thing that was really interesting was, yeah, in that in that period, in that kind of mute math vibe, which that when that happened, that was right before I joined the band. I think I, the mute math show... Yeah, that would have been 2005. And then the I joined the band in either end of 2006 or early 2007. I realized looking back that in 2005, like the three of the albums that were like the most impactful to me all came out in 2005. And I didn't realize that until just recently when we were talking about doing the show. I looked back and I'm like, I should, you know, probably figure out what I would actually have on my my list of, you know, impactful songs and whatnot. And uh, yeah, one of those albums, you know, other than the the Mute Math album we already talked about, was uh, Cigarosa's album uh, Tack, yeah. which was just like one of these albums that when I first heard it, I was like, "This is so weird. What the heck is this?" It was kind of a really random thing. But I remember being at a cottage with some friends over like the Christmas holidays one time. Um, one of my buddies' families asked me to go on vacation with them, and it was like late December. Um, we we're at this like ski cottage up in like northern Ontario in the middle of nowhere. And we're in this cabin and I remember not feeling good. She had like a stomach ache or something. And my buddy was like, listen to this. And it was the Cigarettes album. And he was like, just check it out. And I remember falling asleep listening to it. And it was just like the most peaceful thing. And he asked me what I thought of it. And I still remember I said, it sounds like a creepy circus. <laughs> Like that was like what it reminded me of, like this weird kind of creepy carnival. And I mean, anyone who hasn't you know heard of them, you should definitely check them out. Their music is amazing. I've seen them live, and it's an amazing show. But it was more impactful to me in that it was like very eye opening because I I thought I knew music and I could tell you about a lot of different genres, but hearing that, I realized like okay, there's a lot of stuff I don't know anything about. Yeah. And I think that kind of drew me in because it was like, I don't even know what they're saying. I can't make out a word they're saying. Some of their songs are in Icelandic. Some of their songs are gibberish. And so it's like having to fully convey a message when most of your listeners don't speak the language you're singing in. It just told me so much about music in that it's amazing because I could go to the show and someone can be right next to me and not understand a word that I say. And we're both feeling the same emotion. You know what I mean? Right. That was kind of, I guess, the big thing for them. One of those things of like, you know, realizing how much more is there out there that I have never heard. Like it, it kind of fired me up to like want to search more music, if, if uh, that makes sense. No, totally. I feel like it, it did the same for me. Mm, really? When I first heard Cigarettes. Yeah. Is that the first album you heard too? No, it was the untitled one. Is that before or after that? before okay yeah see you're you're og man i'm not surprised you know i didn't i didn't hear it when it first came out oh i see when i did hear the untitled album i mean it just kind of 
like like what you just said, it just kind of blew the doors open to all sorts of different other types of music than what I had thought I previously knew. Yeah, it's like that curiosity of like. Totally, I feel the same way when I go traveling somewhere. Right, like I had a moment when we were in uh, Australia a couple years ago. Where we were, I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, there's a rock formation um, a few hours outside of Melbourne in Australia that's called the 12 apostles. And it's called that because it's like these 12 like rock kind of figures that stand through the ocean. So it's like maybe a couple hundred yards off of the edge of the kind of shoreline. And there's these massive rock figures that kind of were formed and it's, you know, become a very popular touristy kind of spot. But I remember hiking up this hill with our friends who live in Australia and getting right up there as the sun was setting over top of this beautiful view and just thinking the same thing, like, man, like how many more places are like this yeah. out there in the world that I've never seen? Like places that literally were like breathtaking, but most of us will never see, yeah. you know, there's just not enough time. And I think that kind of longing for new music, I feel the same way about traveling. Like when I get to travel, I just like, I don't know. The reason why France is so intriguing to a lot of us is because it's so different, right? You feel like you're stepping back in time. And for me, like that's what Sigaross's music was like. It felt like it was a whole different time. Like I was jumping into this like weird, strange movie of like a different language, yet I understood it, I guess, if it makes sense. Yeah, totally. Post this, like while uh, you're in the band, you're, you're starting to open up again, like kind of like what you, you just talked about with opening up your horizons, big band, jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Old, old school hip hop. Yeah. I was kind of all over the place. Yeah. I, uh, I went through like this, this weird period where like, you know, the big band stuff, well, I kind of was into it like mid high school, but as I got older being a drummer, I mean, I got into Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa and, these old like big band drummers that a friend of mine who is into the same kind of stuff was like, dude, you gotta check these guys out. But it it was just like, once again, it was like, I'm, I'm learning Travis Barker blast beats and crazy, you know, punk fills. And then next thing you know, my parents are like, you know, you gotta shut your TV off because it's like three in the morning and I'm listening to like big band jazz, like blasting in my bedroom. I just got obsessed with it. Like I just, I went through like, I guess if you say phases or whatever, um, but I still like a lot of that stuff. Like I, I saw the same kind of intertwined kind of emotion that, although it was very different and a lot of the stuff I was listening to is from like the forties and fifties, even in the early two thousands, I was like, man, like I'm getting this, like I'm getting this vibe. And, and strangely, a lot of that big band and jazz influence, um, you know, kind of just naturally morphed into a love of hip hop. And I mean, some of the best drummers in the world are these yeah. unnamed dudes that nobody yep. will ever know that just tour around with a lot of hip hop artists that normally play with backing tracks. But over the years, even as, you know, having more sampled tracks and, and live DJs and stuff have become the norm. A lot of those guys still travel with drummers because they want that live kind of pulse on the stage. And I just got really into that, you know. I'm reminded of Jay-Z's Show Me What You Got. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar. The drums on that. Oh, my word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe a Tony Royster. Oh, Tony Royster? Yeah, dude. He's freaking amazing. His son now, Tony Royster Jr., is one of the big guys in hip-hop now. 
I, every time I, I jam out to that song, I'm just blown away by the drums. So, dude, it's I mean, it's it's amazing. It's it's one of those genres where there's like an emphasis on feel, you know, and pulse, and and I, I mean, I I think a lot of I don't know a lot of genres just don't. Like, yeah, as as a drummer, your job is to be a timekeeper. But I feel like the hip hop world understands that. Yeah, but you could make that sound good. It doesn't have to be the same four on the floor kind of driving beat that's in every song that's on the radio right now. Like, there's a lot of really cool ways. Like, all right by uh, Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me if that drum beat was not in that song. If that song would be half as catchy. Like that song is that drum beat. Like as soon as that comes in, it's just like, oh man. As soon as he goes into that, we're gonna be all right part, and that drum. Uh, thing kicks in with that really cool funky hi-hat you're just like oh my gosh like it's another thing that i feel confident that if i showed that to someone who didn't speak english when that part kicked in they'd be like yeah like they'd be bobbing their head because it's just like drums can convey something that i feel like regardless of where you're at you know and maybe that's not fair to say just drums because i feel like you know any instrument can convey emotion but I feel like for me, being a drummer, that's what I really connected with. Would you say that you enjoy that music more because it's minimalist and has more of a stripped-back feeling to it? Yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah, it's very, very stripped-back. And a lot of my favorite songs are like that. Oh, totally. Oh, I think that's a, a lesson for producers to know <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you entirely go minimalist either. But I think sometimes, especially with programs like Pro Tools, you don't need to have 50 different things going on in in the song. Yeah, a lot of times it can squash the creativity, right? Like I think, I mean, music is a perfect example of humans not knowing when to stop. Like there's so many times that in the studio you get like this really cool demo and you're like, oh my gosh, that's great. And we start messing with it. And then next thing you know, it's like, okay, we've absolutely killed this. We've not in a good way, like we've destroyed the feel because we've tried to do too much. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, ironically, the artist that I'm playing for right now is a, a singer songwriter, kind of indie folk guy uh, named Brendan Scott Friel, um, who's just amazing. He's really uh, getting a lot of press right now, actually. But just like one of those dudes that he's just got this amazing voice, he's a really, really good player. And I love his stripped back stuff so much that, like, on the last record we did that I played on my two favorite tracks on the album. I didn't play on there's no drums. And it was just one of those things that it's just like certain songs don't need anything. And there we've learned that, you know, over the years, like back in the day, I was wanting to play as much as I could and insert this cool fill here and do this cool part there. And the more I've kind of played and done session work for different artists and seen what's out there and, my personal tastes, I guess, have changed too. I've just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? What would serve the song best? And what do I have to not play? Like, listen to the drum part. Okay, that's one thing. Now listen to that drum part with the bass. Is what I'm playing making the bass sound better? Or am I covering up something that he's playing? And if it's covering up something, then I need to step back a bit. The same thing goes with the guitar. Same thing goes with the vocal. Like, a lot of drummers, when they're planning out when they're going to do a fill, they're not thinking about what the vocal line is, but smart drummers are like, that's one thing I've learned from guys like Aaron Sterling, 
who's you know a session drummer that has played on everything and I had the uh, good luck to uh, to meet him just recently getting to pick his brain for a few minutes was was one of my favorite things because he is that guy like he's like stop showing people what you can do like what serves the song best and don't just say that like mean it like figure out how can you change your drum part so that the vocal melody sounds better like stop thinking of yourself and it's like if we did that like how much better would the band as a whole sound if we went into it thinking okay how can what i'm playing make that sound better or this sound better you know what i mean right that's a really good perspective to think on. I think a lot of artists and bands need to really consider. A hundred percent. Given where music is at right now. Like how many times have you been in a conversation and while the person's talking, you're thinking like, oh, you know what I want to say after this? Like yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of that. I do it all the time. Yeah. I've done it in this conversation. <laughs> but it's like the good musicians know how to stop doing that with their instrument. It's like just lay back just give it some room just let the song breathe and then when you come in with that part it's going to be that much more emotionally engaging if you've done it in the right way right yeah totally last few years hip-hop is still kind of a huge driver anderson pack man yeah i know you saw him live uh last year at little caesars I saw him at, uh, I think it was, it was either the Fox Theater or the Fillmore in Detroit. Oh, okay. And then I saw him again about six months later in San Francisco. We happened to be on vacation and just look, and he was playing like down the road, and we're like, let's go. <laughs> it was another one of those amazing moments, yeah. Talk about him. What What is it about him that's, uh, that you enjoy? Have you seen uh, Anderson Pock's, uh Tiny Desk? No. I will now. Yeah, dude, honestly, watch that, and I won't have to say anything. I mean, I will because your your audience, I'm sure, wants to hear the answer to it. But it, it was just one of those things where I, I watched this Tiny Desk video, and I just stumbled upon it on YouTube when it was pretty like new. It had only come out like a couple weeks before, and it didn't have a ton of views at the time. But a buddy of mine showed me, and mm-hmm. I just kind of stumbled on it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is what uh, my buddy was talking about. So I clicked on it. And uh, I watched it, and I was like, whoa. And so for anybody who hasn't seen Anderson Pock, he's, um, he's one of those dudes who's just like an all-around crazy um, musician. He plays a bunch of different instruments. Amazing vocalist, like just such a good singer. Um, but live, he actually plays the drums and sings at the same time. And I mean, there's been other artists that have done that. Phil Collins, yeah. tons of people. But this guy's different, man. This This dude is just like... I mean, you'll know, like literally when you watch that, uh, tiny desk thing later, I'd be very surprised if you don't call me after, because it's like one of those things where I watched it and I was like, Oh my God. Okay. I get why my buddy was like, you got to see this. And then I showed my wife and she was like, Whoa, who's this? And then we proceeded to watch it a third time again together. And it was just like, Whoa, like how did I miss out on this guy? How was I sleeping on this dude? You know, because he had had a couple records before that. Instant fans. I mean, crazy, crazy good groove. Like, just even if he couldn't sing for the life of him, he'd be an amazing drummer. But the fact that he's like an insane uh, vocalist and just amazing dude can sing and rap and whatever, just tons of feel. And then I just kind of fell in love with the story. I watched a few interviews and found out, like, oh, he's 
legit. Like he's not just talking about stuff like the stuff that he's singing about is stuff that he's lived through. Um, and he had a crazy upbringing, you know, as both of his parents had been incarcerated at different times and kind of learning to grow up and fend for himself and take care of his family and all these things. And, you know, it's one thing to, to talk about that, but it's another thing when you can tell, you know, when you're, you're watching somebody and you can, you can just tell that what they're singing about is real. Mm-hmm. It was that. Yeah. It was like this undeniable, like, yes, this is legit. Authentic. Authentic, 100%. Just just pure talent, authenticity, like, to the max. And when we saw him live, I could honestly say it was that much better. And then we saw him live, uh, you know, I don't know, four or five, six months later. And it was like, holy smokes, this was even better. Like, I literally, within that half-year period, his show had gotten even tighter. And I just remember, like, talking to Rachel after the show, and we were both like, that was better, right? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I thought so. Like, I thought that was even better. Like, I don't know. It's just like, you could tell when somebody loves what they're doing so much that they're just continually honing their craft. Like every time they play a song, you know, much like Mute Math, right? Like you've seen Mute Math a bunch of times. Yeah. They would take the same song, but they would change the arrangement a little bit. They would put in like an instrumental part. They would put in a random solo. Yeah. There's always something, you know, and that's like this dude. He's just constantly tweaking what he does. And it's just amazing. That's awesome. Why do you love going to concerts so much? The feeling I get when the lights go off and the band hasn't walked on the show. And for those few seconds, you don't have to say anything. Everybody knows exactly what's about to happen. There's this unity in the crowd where everything just feels right. There's excitement, there's tension, but it doesn't matter what happened for the rest of the day. Everything um, just kind of fades away. Like that, for me, it doesn't matter. Like if I'm having a good day, a concert makes my day that much better. If I'm having a bad day, it's kind of like my medicine of just like forget about everything that was going on, push the reset button. Like I, I genuinely feel like it's the one thing that it doesn't matter how good or bad my day has been, that the second those lights go off, it's like before the first note is even played, there, there's just something. I mean, you know, call me a cliche or whatever, but I feel like it's a spiritual experience. I feel like regardless of what's gone on with every person in there, what language they speak, we're all there for the same thing. Um, and in that moment, you know, I just feel like everything's, everything's all right. Yeah. Oh, totally. What about you? Like, I mean, you probably go to even more concerts than I do. What is it that keeps you going back? I love the, the overall experience of it. Once that, yeah, like you said, once that music starts going or the lights go out, there's this, immediate sense that okay next two hours we are all in this together and we're we're gonna rock our faces off and it's gonna be awesome it's a communal thing like it's a shared experience that you don't just get to have for yourself you're sharing it with you know whether it's a hundred people twenty thousand people or sixty thousand people kind of like you said spiritual but it, it feels sacred yeah i totally agree i i can definitely feel that there is a sacredness about it and I feel like, you know, the record industry changes. Bands aren't selling as many albums as they used to. Everything is free download now. But it's like the concerts, like that'll never go away. Like that can never be taken away because that is something that just cannot be replaced. And I feel like it's that emotional factor. Oh, totally. What is it about music that uh, makes us want to listen to it? Why is it, in, why is it so important for us to partake in as humans? Oh man, for me, it kind of goes back to the same thing with the live thing. 
I, I feel like there's just this emotional element, whether you want to call it, you know, sacred, spiritual, encouraging, uplifting. Here's a perfect example. I mean, for people that don't know me, which is everybody that's listening to this pretty much, I, uh, my wife and I run a few coffee shops. We, uh, lifelong dream, we both wanted to open a coffee shop. Fast forward a few years, we have a few cafes now. One of the things that I'm always huge on is like the music that we're playing in the coffee shops. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we're, you know, catering a bridal shower or we're just in the middle of a lunch rush on a Tuesday. I've noticed that the way we curate the playlist affects the atmosphere in the room. And so I purposely will select more softer, more mellow music earlier in the day. When the lunch rush hits, it's more upbeat stuff, but not obnoxious. So people can still talk, but the atmosphere and um, excitement, I guess, is kind of a little bit more elevated kind of to match the music. Mm -hmm. We were at a restaurant just recently really nice restaurant. And it was kind of like later in the day. And it was one of those things where it was like, you know, having a good meal and blah, blah, blah. And the atmosphere was amazing. And all of a sudden I was just like, something feels really awkward. Like something feels really weird. And the music had shut off and none of us noticed. And it wasn't like they were closing, but it was like getting late or whatever. But I think like whatever playlist they had on just stopped or something. And then I figured it out. I'm like, oh my gosh, the music stopped. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, you're right. But it was like the whole atmosphere, like everything, it felt like more tense because, you know, you heard the waiters running around behind you, grabbing stuff and water being refilled and people asking questions, and all these things. And when the music came back on, it was like the vibe chilled out and it was like everything, you know, and I remember I looked at Rachel and I was like, this is why I'm obsessed with like the type of music we're playing because she's always like, whatever, like, you know, just put something on, just leave it on. Like, it doesn't really matter. And Rachel loves music just as much as me, but she's just a little bit more of a normal, sane person. Whereas I'm looking at all these little details and I'm like, no, like it, it totally affects everything. And it was just kind of like, for me, that's an example of why playlist cutting out to most people in the room, maybe didn't even notice, but I bet if you were to, you know, survey a bunch of people in there, they could feel the difference, like the difference in like the tension shift in the atmosphere because when the music came back on, it was like a gasp of fresh air. It was just like, okay, like we're, we're back to just chilling, hanging out, you know, whether you're cutting the grass or doing housework, I don't know if I'm the only one, but for me, it's like, if I throw headphones on, I could cut the lawn all day. Like I do not care. Like I could do whatever I got to do. It brings me back to this place of just like, you know, I, I like to talk. I probably talk too much. And it, for me, is just like, all right, Kyle, shut up, just chill out, shut your brain off for a minute, you know? And there's times where I'll do that or I'll be driving around to drop off a catering order or something. And I'll have a, an album on, I haven't listened to in a while. And like, next thing you know, I'm like, I passed the exit I got to go to or something. Cause my brain just kind of like shut off. And I feel like for me, it's just kind of like therapy, you yeah. know, Wednesday night, I decided to just get in my car. And even though it's probably, I don't know, maybe technically illegal, but I just jammed out for like 45 minutes and I love it. just needed to do that, you know, just needed to. Were you driving or just sitting in the driveway? Yeah, I was driving. Yeah, dude, I think that's so good. But it, it was just like so, it was so healthy, <laughs> just rocking out to the Killers, Coldplay, the 1975. I was just, just needed that, you know given what's going on right now. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's super uh, important, especially in this time. I mean, everybody that's listening knows you know what's going on in the world with COVID and whatnot. But I feel like it's so easy to allow ourselves to get stressed out and overwhelmed by things that are outside of our control. And yes, do everything you can to uh, you know stop the pandemic that's going on. Don't be foolish. Don't be out there you know, pushing your way through Costco for four hours, trying to get another roll of toilet paper. But it's like, it's okay to accept that things are outside of your control. Mm-hmm. And for me, like the pandemic is one of those things right now. I mean, it's affected all three of our businesses are closed down. I mean, within, you know, the snap of a finger, right. we lost 90% of our revenue, you know, are doing everything we can to make sure that our staff are getting paid and it's a hard thing to go through, but I also realize that a lot of it, most of it is out of my control. And for me, like that's an easy example of when I need to just kind of let go and not, you know, hold that tension and stress over myself. But for me, music does that on a day to day basis. You know, there's little things that happen throughout the day and I might not even realize it, but I very much use it as a way to kind of escape for a little bit. And sometimes it's, a song cheering me up or sometimes it's a song that you know to some people might seem depressing but i feel like just gets me at that moment you know right well thanks so much for doing this man uh this was great so glad we got to do it uh even though uh we're uh two and a half hours away from each other yeah dude it's been good to hear your voice yeah Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichting. Each person interviewed has created a playlist to the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlists, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm, click on Soundtrack Playlist, and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at at Soundtrack Podcast, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack. Soundtrack.